Danny, you pointed out to me the other day that it's long past time we do our awards. We haven't done them since the beginning of January. We took February off because it was a shorter month, but it really would have been useless to do them any later than this because we got to do our final awards in April. So now that I have prepared for four hours, let's uh, let's get started here with the most valuable player. I hadn't really put my thoughts together on MVP until until this and I I think the place that I want to start this is that there is a completely viable case for three different guys. I I I ha- I switched my own ordering I think four times as I was doing it. That's how close this is for me right now. And do you want me to just go one, two, three, or I can I can do ration? I think you should. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so it surprised me because I changed four times during the course of it. My current number one is Paul George. Holy shit. My current number two is James Harden, and my current number three is Giannis. Wow. You know, it's funny. Maybe I've just been underreacting to what George has been doing. I had George a, a pretty distant third, and maybe that is my prejudice that I just don't think he has anywhere near the same established level of play as those other two guys. And yeah, I mean, averaging the most points per game, the most accurate shooting of his career, been outstanding on defense, uh, on one of the better defenses in the league. Yeah, he was uh, number three for me, although I've seriously considered Kevin Durant there as well. But why don't I leave it to you here, rather than uh, tear George down, you, you build him up as to why you had him number one. The theory of these three guys is that so with James Harden, he is the most important offensive player in the league. He is he's been the most dominant. I mean, he you have all of that. So and and there is no argument against it, really. I mean, he he Harden has the most he is the largest role of any single player in any offense and Houston has an elite offense. So you you have to give him the lion's share of that credit. So the case has to be different. And so for me with Paul George, it's actually similar to a case that I would have made for Kawhi Leonard two years ago were Kawhi Leonard to have played enough minutes to have gotten into that conversation. And George is not as good offensively as James Harden. That That is to be obvious. But he is awesome defensively. You know, he is a, I wouldn't say he's my favorite. He isn't. But he is a defensive player that your candidate. He's providing that level of value. And he also has a conventional case, not the best player, best team, that the difference with him off is the most significant. And so like Thunder plus nine net rating when Paul George is on the floor, negative eight when he's off. And you could go, oh, well, look at the Thunder starters are great. The Thunder backups aren't that good. Fair point, except that the Thunder starters without Paul George have sucked. When Paul George is off the floor, they've had a 105 offensive rating. When Russ plays and 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 Paul George sits, 100 total. And it's fair to say that a significant part of that is Paul George. I mean, yeah, their shooting sucks when Paul George is off the floor because he's one of their only good shooters. And so for me, the margin between in overall value between what Harden and George have done offensively is smaller, even though offense is more important than the margin between those two guys defensively. Well, let me make my case for Giannis here. And I agree with what you've said on George. I think it's just I, a lot of it boiled down to me in, in the impact metrics, number one overall in RPM, number two in PIPM. The statistical case is there you know and you mentioned the on off stuff and yeah that's muted a little bit because the rest of the team is so flawed but yeah for him to lift this team i do think a lot of what he's doing is based maybe on unsustainable jump shooting if he plays like this again for another month he's out with this shoulder issue now if he plays like this again for another month and he's making very very difficult shots very very difficult three-pointers I mean, that's been a big part of what he's been doing this year I and mean, he is their only major three-point threat on this team and that's what uh, such a huge part of 
of why he has the impact that he has on this team offensively if he does this for another month i will consider his candidacy much more seriously i I do worry that you know this is a couple of months of really hot shooting that's uh, been driving this and again he's just at a much higher level than he's ever been before and you know the whole season it is about value it's not who we think the best player is you know that's a principle we established and i feel fine sticking with that you know for this regular season one season award you know all nba i feel a little bit differently uh, so if he keeps this up for another month, I, I'm willing to revisit it. I think you're giving short shrift to Giannis here. Giannis Antetokounmpo has an 11.9 net rating. That's the highest of anyone in the NBA uh, among high minute players and certainly among realistic candidates. Number five in RPM, number one in PIPM. The Bucks have a 100.5 defensive rating when he is on the floor. I actually have him above Paul George in my defensive player of the year rankings. And I think that while George, what he's doing is incredibly important to the Thunder offense, the Bucks have built their system completely around what Giannis is doing and his ability to collapse the defense kick out to shooters not turn the ball over he's also a pretty decent force on the offensive glass compared to some of these other guys and the numbers for him are still just mind-blowing 64 percent true shooting 32 percent usage so that is his individual numbers to me are better than paul george he uses more plays and he's more efficient paul george is at 59 percent true shooting 29.6 usage his team is better offensively granted he has more shooting around him to be sure probably better coaching but you know, i don't know how much the coaching aspect plays in and i think he's been more valuable defensively than george has been as well so i, I think that the case for Giannis over georgia is pretty clear if you're going with the the whole two-way thing which you know i, I know that's an oversimplified hackneyed term so i want to push back on one thing and this is such a weird a weird element to discuss because the bucks have risen so much this year but the premise that this team has been great offensively because of Giannis I think is a little bit forced because when the Bucks have played with their best player with their other best players on the floor without Giannis they've been amazing offensively too it's a smaller sample but like for example when it's been Middleton on the floor and not Giannis that's mostly the Bledsoe Brogdon Middleton Ersan Sofa Lopez lineup you know like they overall in the Middleton no Giannis minutes 119 offensive rating they have a plus 11 net rating when Brooke Lopez plays without Giannis like he is amazing and they are an unbelievable believable team with him but I think the Bucks have somehow created an ecosystem where yeah those minutes are the foundation for everything else but for some reason and it might just be small sample size theater it might just be this situation where you know for whatever reason these guys are really really good or it could just be but has a great system and everything else they've succeeded more without Giannis than I would have expected and again this is such a weird thing to like I mean the that's why it's splitting hairs between these guys but for me there is a there is a very basic point that we have samples with all of these guys with the team without them and Giannis's team is for whatever reason the best without him of any of these three I don't know why yeah. that is but it is well it depends what numbers you look at too I mean if you're looking at NBA.com which doesn't filter out the garbage you're probably doing cleaning the glass right I am yeah because that yeah. that that's the that's the relevant data to me if you I don't think how a team performs at garbage time matters yeah well it, on NBA.com which I just I find it a little easier to use uh for that particular stat uh 107 offensive rating 112 when Giannis is on 107 when he's off and they get uh about three points worse defensively when he's off the floor as well so he he does have uh an 8.3 on off differential which is pretty darn good to me and 
yeah i think when as many minutes as he's played when you're gonna if you're gonna exclude garbage time and you're also going to ex, you know try to find these times when they've played that he hasn't played you you are going to start to run into some issues there in terms of the size but you know garbage time is his own issues too and garbage time as far as you know who's on the floor and who isn't uh, that's it's difficult to parse that out but also I, I think for me too just to reach those heights with him on the floor i mean to me basketball ultimately is about championships and driving your team to an incredible performance and while paul george has done that to some degree with okc i mean the fact is okc and houston well, i mean we haven't even talked about harden yet there's lots to say about him of course as well but and you know we may even do like an entire episode on the mvp this year like we did a couple of years ago because i think it's, it's very fascinating and, and there's I mean, to not pick Harden almost seems crazy. I, I had some discussions with Rocket staffers and they asked me about this and I hadn't really done the research at that point, but my overall thought at the time was was to go with Giannis and I, I'm sticking with that for reasons I'll get to. Uh, but, you know, I did feel very defensive even saying that to those Rocket staffers because of like the crazy numbers, especially in the traditional stats that Harden has been putting up. Uh, but I think it, ultimately, the more I've learned about basketball in the last couple of years is that creating value for a team that's going to get to 50 wins versus creating the value to get a team from 50 to 60 wins, you know, there is, I think, something different involved there. Now, Harden has done that before for a, a team that's been really good, so I'm not as skeptical uh, about him. Whereas Paul George, if he's your best offensive player, I do wonder a little bit uh, about what kind of heights you can reach as a team uh, on offense, even with the incredible way that he shot the ball this year but let's talk about Harden now so amazing you had him number two you had Giannis number three uh, any just facts that stick out to you about his candidacy I mean we know he's had this incredible offensive run with the with a bunch of guys out and all that and he's been driving a pretty efficient offense but what are the things that so I, I think we could take that as a given we don't need to discuss too much just how awesome he's been offensively and, and his incredible usage unless you I have one thing I want to say on it's, yeah. it's related to that okay Harden has only been assisted on a 11% of his two-pointers and 15% of his threes. So these are all self-created shots. By yeah. comparison, 30% of twos and 68% are assisted for Paul George, 45 and 80 for Giannis. So that Harden is doing this in a completely different way, which is ramps up to the degree of difficulty. And the fact that he is even, you know, in the same universe, I mean, he's ahead of Paul George in terms of true shooting. He's a little bit behind Giannis, but the degree of difficulty of what he's doing is bananas. And you think about, you know, like you talked about the, the role that Giannis plays in the in the Rockets offense. I mean, I mean in the Bucks offense. Harden is the Rockets offense. And another case that I that I found myself really sympathetic to with Harden is a big part of the reason why the Rockets have been better with him off the floor than these other teams have been without their guys, you know, actually technically the Bucks have been, you know, if we're going by pure net rating, the Bucks have been better, is that Chris Paul's on the floor. James Harden should not get punished because the Rockets have Chris Paul. I mean, and, and D'Antoni, when Chris Paul is healthy, runs the stagger. I mean, that's they're an awesome team. They're an amazing offense. But well, I think well, well, so what about this though? What about the fact that with Chris Paul on and Harden off, seven point six net rating, mm-hmm. and with Harden on, you know, overall, some of those include minutes with Paul. They're only plus three point one. Yeah, that that's a, a part of the reason why I have him below below um Paul George. The Giannis thing is, is tough. I mean, I you know I have the I originally had the order Giannis Harden Paul George, so I, I completely understand having it in a different thing. Another like concern for me with Harden 
is that one of the theories last year was that even though he wasn't a great defender, they were a really strong defensive team. That has not been true this year. The Rockets are in the 24th percentile using cleaning the glasses filter for defensive rating when Harden has been on the floor. And while I do not think that his defense has gotten materially worse, the idea that he wasn't as big of a detriment is maybe getting toned down now. And that's actually where you see the impact of guys like Ariza and Mbamute not being not being on the team, though P.J. Tucker has, of course, been awesome. And Clint Capella taking a step back as he has and not being available as he has been. So I I think that, you know, that's not all laying it at Harden's feet, but it does weaken an argument that I thought was pretty persuasive. It wasn't definitive for Harden because his offense, you didn't need to make that argument, but it was in his back pocket. And I mean, he's been amazing. I mean, so Harden, he's averaging, to put it in a different way, he's averaging nine made unassisted baskets per game, 1.5 assisted baskets and 7.6 assists per game. That is ridiculous for a team as great offensively as they are. Yeah, I think he's on pace for the second highest usage of all time and uh, among these candidates players who have a usage over 20 i think he's like fourth in true shooting at 62 percent. so if this were just an offensive award he would win it pretty easily i, th- I think that that's clear they've been pretty good offensively or not pretty good very good offensively with just him out there they've had a lot of injury concerns he's ramped up the usage i mean the, he's having perhaps even an unprecedented offensive season. but this is a really hard year i mean this like there are really really good players here i mean and you might even say of these top three guys at mvp not to in a couple weeks we'll probably do our top 10 players in the nba like these guys might not even be your top three guys you know certainly paul george is not gonna be for me i i think you know, i mean you've got kevin durant steph curry lebron james out there i mean those were the guys we've looked at as the top three guys in the nba coming into this year um and certainly a lot of that has to do with potential playoff performance as well Giannis, harden even george are not particularly proven playoff performers at this type of a level but for me harden where it falls apart for him is the defense and that the overall net rating in particular i mean to be oh it's very weird to see an mvp candidate who the team is only like one point per 100 better when he's on the floor and a big part of that is the defense and now you mentioned that they were able to be solid defensively i think they were sixth a year ago with him involved so it is possible to build a decent defense around him but the only way to do that really it seems like in today's nba is that you have to be really really good at switching and the rockets had to abandon the overall switching strategy early this year they're just were too small it seemed like they're getting killed on on the defensive glass the only problem is and rockets watchers you can correct me if i'm wrong but for what i've been able to determine their scheme their scheme is we're going to play conventional defense except every screen that james harden is involved in we're going to switch it and harden does hold up pretty well in the post that's but i think that's starting to get a little bit overrated when you look at also the fact that he has to get out to shooters and he's got to play one-on-one defense and it's just the fact that you have james harden and he has never gotten over a screen in the last five seasons now you have to completely change up your defensive system they have one set of rules for the other four guys and another set of rules for james Harden. that just makes it very difficult to defend remember that and, and communicate the fact that you'd prefer not to be switching but you just you have to when he's out there both to preserve his legs and because he's never going to get through a screen like he is so bad that you have to play this type of system and he's a guard you know he's not like it's one thing all right if you have deandre ayton or or you know a limited defensive center where okay he's a center we got to run our scheme to protect him a little bit on the room i mean this is like what other guard in the nba do you have to change your whole defensive system for usually guards you can hide them more easily but i 
they've come to the conclusion that you can't really do that now maybe part of the reason they have him switch so much is they feel like he's good in the post and he can hold up there but i do think i mean this is if you look at their defensive talent like it's not atrocious right i mean chris paul's pretty good and when he's played they've they've been better and they got pj tucker and they got clint capella i mean that's three good defensive players in their starting lineup and to be like you know austin rivers is fine yeah they had Carmelo Anthony they've got Gerald Greenman they've had some kind of guys filling in there who haven't been as good but and I do think they're capable of playing better defense as the season goes along but to have all those guys and all right why are we 25th in defense or whatever it is you know I think you have to look at him very closely and with just this incredible competition this year for the MVP I mean I've made the the argument that I mean nobody none of the big players in the league really have had like season ending injuries and they're all playing pretty well uh, on good teams other than I guess ad at this point that's why i ended up having a hard number two and Giannis number one especially when you throw in just that Giannis and he's it would be nearly unprecedented for a player clearly playing at an mvp level on by far the best team in the nba you know almost historically good they have the number two offense and the number one defense and he's a huge part of that on both ends for them to be this good and him not to an mvp would uh, you know i don't agree with the historical precedent but it is a factor here it would be nearly a, unprecedented so that's why i go with the honest harden is number two for me george uh, a more distant third uh in my personal opinion but you know if he plays like this for another month i'm willing to reevaluate that i will note for the point of clarification that i do not consider player quality beyond the sample that we have at all for my rankings for mvp yeah. i don't consider it a prediction thing i don't consider it a, a a reward for anything like that and reasonable minds can differ i just wanted to note that out there that i don't care in the slightest yeah and i mean it, it, it's uh that may be a little bit logically inconsistent for me to not be considering george as much as i or, or as or to be considering him as little as i have been i mean you know I, I certainly his statistical case is reasonable but as a tiebreaker certainly you know i go to who i think the better players are um uh- Something yeah. we haven't mentioned in this, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, it is weird, as, as of when we record this, all three players have played an identical number of games. Harden has played more minutes per game. That's actually an argument, theoretically, against Giannis. He's played 33 minutes, which is which is fewer, and you know, that is well, less time. I wouldn't say that, because... Because they've kicked so much ass yeah, that he yeah, hasn't I mean, had they've to. been blowing teams out. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's the Steph Curry argument going back to, I believe that was 2016. The, no, well, not... 2015, 2015. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the, yeah, that was yeah, the year he wasn't... 16, there, there was uh, I, I mean, I thought there was no argument at 15, right. too, but 16, there really was no argument. Um, also, Kevin Durant, I mean, I, I think worth noting, number three in PIPM, number seven in RPM, uh, the numbers when he is on the floor offensively and Curry is off are still spectacular. Um, you know, there's been drama around him. Golden State overall is, is disappointed in some to some degree in the regular season. But, you know, I, I think his candidacy is uh, maybe being under-discussed to some degree. But, you know, I would have him fourth at this point in time. All right, we got a lot more to get to here we got to do first team all NBA. i don't know if any of these players we're talking about are going to be the goat lebron james his chances of becoming the goat maybe took a little bit of a hit this year with the lakers uh, apparently gonna miss the playoffs now but you can still benefit from goat.com the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online the largest marketplace in the world jordan's yeezys over six hundred thousand sneaker listings their experts are awesome they check every single sneaker before it is sent to you for authenticity they're so good that they know what jordans smell like they weigh the shoes they are going to make sure that what you are getting is authentic they check the stitching the color the size they certify every 
every pair of sneakers on the site matches exact factory specifications and you won't find better prices for verified 100 authentic sneakers anywhere else i got myself a pair of kamikaze twos reebok kamikaze twos those were the shoes sean kemp wore in the mid 90s they look pretty good i actually wear those to uh the game i'm going to tonight the way to get started with them is goat goat.com slash cap space that url again goat.com slash cap space goat.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us okay first team all nba harden Giannis. those guys are going to be on there uh but i'm going to continue to sleep on paul george by actually having kd ahead of paul george on first team all nba a little bit different criteria here where i i like to default a little bit more towards the player i think it is the best but that's i mean that is really really splitting hairs between those two and that, that's going to go right down to the wire for our final show i'm sure it will. I think we should actually do the rest. We should do this position by position. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's do you, good. Do so, you want so forwards, we'll do forwards here. We might as well do forwards first. So I went with, with Paul George and Giannis. I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise. I had those guys in the in the top of the MVP candidacy. And and I do think of MVP and All-NBA differently, but to me, they, they have been the two best. Kevin Durant is a rough, like, it's, it's rough to have him not on the first team. I mean, if we could count Paul George as a guard and bump his teammate Steph Curry I would do that but I don't consider that fair because Paul George is a straight three this year so I mean they're playing Terrence Ferguson and Diallo and all these other guys so I don't I don't I don't want to fudge it for that because it's not really fair uh so then Durant is I mean he's the next guy and then your decision becomes an interesting one and that is Kawhi Leonard versus LeBron James for the last spot on the second team yeah with the Lakers disappointing this year LeBron how his defense has fallen apart since he's come back he actually has still played a few more minutes than Kawhi has like Mm -hmm. about a hundred more minutes so that's something that that you can look at but i mean the raptors haven't been a disappointment Kawhi has been pretty good in the clutch as well and he's not a defensive liability the way lebron is and and i'm definitely you know maybe lebron is still a better player than Kawhi. that's probably true i guess but i I mean especially when you throw in some of the intangibles that lebron has brought or not brought this season and the effect that i mean Kawhi, i think the fact that he has you know missed a game or two here or there i think as long longest stretch that he's missed has been four games whereas LeBron that one stretch that he missed just absolutely killed them you know I mean that was really really difficult so any obviously the Raptors have a lot more talent uh, than the Lakers do uh, around him but just I mean I'm sorry like if, if you're not going to make the playoffs here it, it's going to be tough for, for me to say that he's been better quiet LeBron clearly uh on the third team and then I thought it was pretty pretty easy choice for Blake Griffin as the other third team all NBA for it I didn't really have anyone else in serious contention there did you not particularly my next group down was Gallinari Siakam and Middleton I thought all those guys have played well but they weren't better they haven't been better than Blake this year one other thing I want to mention like this is just a beef that I I don't I can't look into the black box but both RPM and PIPM have LeBron with a significantly better defensive component than Kawhi and it's very possible that with what their inputs they're getting have that I'm not saying I'm not saying they're you know that it's it's an incorrect evaluation but if you were to tell me that LeBron is having a better defensive season than Kawhi I would I would be I would disagree with you yeah now I mean we are probably I mean forgetting how good the Lakers actually looked before LeBron got hurt sure. on Christmas I mean that's yeah. that is part of the season and they defended very well during that period also 
Um, Luka Doncic also at, at board deserves a, a little bit. Uh, I wanted to maybe try to shoehorn LaMarcus Aldridge in a, as a forward, and he might have gotten some consideration with Blake Griffin. I would have gone with Blake ultimately anyway there. Uh, but, you know, Aldridge is really more of a center at this point where there's actually a really, really tough competition at center. We'll, we'll do that last. Uh, Draymond Green also, you know, now that, that he has to play with DeMarcus Cousins, his defensive impact has uh, not been as good lately. Uh, you know, those numbers have really gone down for him. Um, so that's about all I had it for. I think uh, we're in pretty clear agreement there other than just that you had Paul George first team and I had KD first team. Um, guards, Harden and Curry on the first team for me. Do you agree? I agree. Lillard and Kyrie on the second team. Any arguments? Yeah, yeah see, seems pretty obvious. I, I had Kyrie on first team, but certainly with the, the Celtics not playing as well recently, some of the drama that he has caused it in theory. I mean, I, I still think that's a little bit overblown. I mean, I, the Celtics to me, their biggest problem is just their players haven't played very well on offense <laughs> more than, you know, and, and maybe that has caused some of these chemistry issues and now they're going to be worse. We'll see them in person uh, tonight. People have been talking about like how miserable their locker room is and how they never talk to each other and all that stuff. And like, all right, how do you quantify that actually on the floor uh, i'm not sure but uh, curry uh now has played a, a greater enough percentage of the season he hasn't played all that well the last month and a half or so but still 65 percent true shooting uh second best offensive rpm in the nba still you know, still breaks defenses the warriors are the greatest offense of all time this year not relative to the league necessarily but just in terms of the raw number so yeah he he replaces uh Kyrie. but yeah i mean it's very clear that Kyrie and lillard are second team then third team gets pretty difficult who'd you have there for the guard line the easiest call of the other ones so i had drew holiday above i mean he's having a wonderful defensive season he'll i mean i don't know if we'll end up uh, hopefully we'll do all defense teams at some point he will be on one of my all defensive teams probably first team on the guard line been great there and offensively he's had a really nice year as well that to me pushed him over the other group a lot of whom are also on disappointing teams so it's not like drew gets the demerit and also he hasn't been the source of the dysfunction at all so i considered eric bledsoe i considered ben simmons he's kind of being counted as a guard right now brad beal kyle lowry but i ended up going with kemba walker still i mean the offensive numbers are still very good with kemba on the floor he has to do a lot of the heavy lifting with the hornets which is something that i really respect because he's done that and you know they've done well enough offensively to make it work so there are lots of people that i would be totally fine with choosing but i went with kemba for the last spot yeah russell westbrook not mentioned here I mean, he may be dealing with an injury, but I do think this recent stretch that Paul George has missed has uh, shed some light on how he's just not the same player at all offensively right now. So it wasn't in serious consideration for me. I mean, he he is, his inefficiency is just, I mean, it's with Paul George, you know, it's hard to make the argument that like that inefficiency is killing the Thunder, but without him, I mean, it's it's been pretty rough. And then, uh, you know, with really high usage and under 50% true shooting, it's really tough to make the argument there. Uh, I went with Walker as well, worth noting for holiday i think he leads the nba in minutes he's almost 2400 minutes right now which is great to see for him hopefully it doesn't lead to him getting injured again but uh considering some of the issues that he had with uh those overuse injuries the stress fracture it's good to see he's able to make it through there let's just hope that that doesn't rear its head once more i mean ben simmons you know he is a guard this year we had him as a forward last year but uh i mean he he i still maintain he might be the most overrated player in the nba right now
now. He's 112 in PIPM, 83rd in RPM. And yeah, he gets a lot of rebounds and assists, but the, you know, rebounds and assists aren't necessarily the greatest stats in and of themselves, especially because so few of Simmons' assists actually come in the half court, you know, where he's he's not really creating buckets for others in the half court. You know, full court, yeah, it's a different story. But he's not really creating buckets for guys in the half court with, with those assists a lot of the time. And certainly the fact that he doesn't need to be guarded at all mutes a lot of his positive offensive impact so and, and i think even defensively he's slipped to, to some degree this year in, in terms of his consistent effort so he wasn't seriously considered for me i mean i think uh, clay thompson has come on a little bit but still you know the first two months of the season were really rough for him uh Mike Conley, I consider Cal Lowry probably would have been my first guy off, but I think and he hasn't played as many minutes as well. So I think Kemba and, and Holiday are pretty clear to me. And uh, yeah, it was kind of bullshit that Drew Holiday didn't make the All Star team. He's not the only guy. It was bullshit didn't make the All Star team who makes an All NBA team for me. And that leads us into the center conversation. This is brutal. Oh my god. Well, and especially, I mean, AD at least, and he was clearly the first team center and he's played an incredible level, but now with, he's not going to play that much. I I think I'll get out ahead of the fact that he's, you know, going to continue to not play that much and, and, uh, not have him on first team anymore. I mean, it's certainly on a per play basis. He's, he's played the best, although worth noting that some of their clutch struggles are, are due to his deficiencies you might say in the clutch the fact that he's not a guy you can just go to the way some of these other guys are uh even like Embiid or even perhaps Jokic uh but yeah so I have AD down on third team now and I actually have Joel Embiid as first team all NBA I'm guessing you're not going to be feeling similarly I am feeling similarly nice yeah I have I I have Embiid first team he bridges a couple of gaps he is a very very good defensive center who is also dominant offensively he's not as as good offensively as Nikola Jokic, but I think first of all, defense is more important for centers, and I think that he is vastly. Well, you know, I think I, I think I'm not willing to sp- say he's not as good offensively as Jokic. I think it depends what you need offensively. I mean, I think Jokic. Well, it's yeah. it's the him alone test for me. Like Jokic, Jokic can foster an amazing offense, and Embiid can be a part of one. And I I don't think that him by himself can do that necessarily. You get, you get what I'm saying? It's, it, I agree with you that it is a matter of taste and matter of situation. But I mean, if you put Jokic on a team, as long as the talent isn't ill fitting, I think they're going to be really good offensively. Yeah, I think I think that's a reasonable argument. Uh, the more I, uh, you've convinced me there, because I I do think Embiid's stylings, he's not incredibly efficient. He's a little bit of a ball stopper he's you could see him as kind of more of a floor raiser type whereas Jokic and he he scales incredibly well the passing I mean they've basically been an awesome offense no matter who he's been on the floor with and and when they're starting Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig with them that they, they certainly tried to <laughs> make it difficult for him offensively obviously that has its own has defensive uh benefits but yeah I, I had Jokic second team at, and Embiid 8.2 net rating that's by far the highest on the team negative 3.7 when he is off the floor part of that's because their backup centers have been a major problem all season but and actually defensively people have kind of been low on what the Sixers and Embiid have done this year but most of that problem comes when he's off the floor 102.5 defensive rating when he's on the floor this year so it does seem subjectively watching him that he has slipped he was not high in my defensive player of the year ratings but I mean those numbers are pretty good and I think offensively yeah Jokic is better but Embiid more than makes up for that on defense I did have Jokic second team and third team I had AD, though certainly open to 
changing that just based on uh, the situation there in new orleans i fudged my own rule and put gobert third team over ad i think ad has been better but there is this idea of value and the reason that anthony davis is not helping his team as much right now is kind of by choice you know like that that it to me that is something that he is impacted on the team i'm not blaming the pelicans for what they did i'm not blaming ad for what he did but gobert is you know other than the end of the game against the bucks he is on the floor and he's been amazing defensively you know he's done the most important thing that most centers do is dominate on that be be a key piece and so i'm going to reward gobert for that and give him my third team spot uh yeah i mean i think by the end of the year i'll i'll be there as well um and and god we 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 have to just mention how much it sucks that vooch can't even get into this conversation like he's having this carl anthony towns carl anthony towns yep both those i mean and you know i mean you look at minnesota you know carl towns has been quite positive i think he's like a, a three net rating there in addition to you know the really good efficiency i mean he's he's right back up to being you know i still think as an offensive center i probably would say i mean it's tough to say whether he or or Jokic is the best offensive center in the league um and towns has has done more defensively this year he's just not quite up there with gobert and Jokic and davis in the impact metrics he's a you know a little bit lower in pipm uh lamarcus aldridge deserves is an interesting candidacy he's another guy who had just a terrible first month and has just been killing it since then but he's really bad by the impact metrics that's also because their starting lineup is so weird and really you know has a lot of issues with it in terms of just size on the wing lack of shooting you know it it makes things difficult for him to be sure his individual numbers are, are pretty good you can make the argument too that he just doesn't create much for others which uh is one i understand so he i, I would have him below but i think he's he's playing at a near all nba level again like it has to be discussed at least yeah i mean the center competition is absolutely brutal uh this season as we talked about people were saying the center is dead and that is uh that is not the case in the slightest so all right that uh that brings us to defensive player of the year which is another just absolute brain buster for me different this year because you have players with a lot of different types of cases like i mean i went with rudy gobert i think he has been the best especially i value you know center defense traditional all that he's a great shot blocker a great shot effector he's also number five in defensive rebounding and the jazz have of course been an amazing defense when he's been on the floor number two in defensive pipm behind miles turner number one in defensive rpm and there, so I don't, I didn't really order my other guys, but the guys that I want to mention are Giannis, Miles Turner, Paul George, and Joel Embiid. I think all those guys have had good years in different ways. But for me, I had Gobert a little bit above everybody else. I ended up with Gobert as well, though I didn't feel great about it. I do feel like this field is emerging a little bit more than it had early in the season. Gobert, the Jazz, playing a lot better. Part of that's due to an easier schedule. Part of it's due to the fact that they're just playing better. But And Gobert is number one in defensive RPM. He is close to the top in defensive PIPM. Miles Turner is a little bit above him. And Turner, I ended up with him at, at number four. Another guy who it's it's just tough to believe in a guy's candidacy as much as with defense, where the impact metrics are the best thing that you have, and just it's impossible for us to see a guy probably more than 15 or 20 games a year on a lot of teams so you just you have to kind of believe it over a larger sample so i'm a little skeptical of guys who just rock it up some of these ratings but turner obviously has been good he's taken a major step forward this year he came down to go bear and Giannis for me and the numbers on Giannis are really good he's 
among the best in the league top five in terms of defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim only 52 percent right up there with his teammate brooke lopez although Giannis just as a power forward he's on the perimeter more and that versatility helps a lot but he also does not challenge nearly as many shots gobert has challenged about four or at least been in the vicinity for 450 or so shots at the rim Giannis is a, a little bit under 200 so while Giannis has allowed a lower defensive field goal percentage at the rim the value added from gobert he's at 56 percent allowed which is a good but not like unbelievable number the whole jazz system is built around him there's a, a little bit bit of a reason to say that the numbers with favors on the floor without him are not as different as they had been in previous years but then it gets down to where he's been before the jazz defense is right up there and just watching him maybe i just happen to have caught the right games of gobert but he does seem to have the largest night tonight impact of anyone on the defensive end and the impact numbers certainly pipm rpm support that so i did go with gobert over Giannis, willing to potentially consider changing that i had paul george number three what do you think of just uh, george has been getting some defensive player of the year buzz i think his offensive performance is kind of just helping that candidacy you know i don't know that he's any better defensively than he's been in any other seasons when he wasn't necessarily up there uh but what do you think of just the idea of a wing player as the defensive player of the year I'm open to the possibility, having already picked Kawhi in other years, and Paul George has been the best wing defender for me this year. Wing defense is incredibly important. OKC has succeeded defensively, you know, so the guys we're talking about are also really on on the best defensive lineup, so cleaning the glass right now, Milwaukee's number one, Utah's number two, OKC's number three, but they're all within half a point per hundred possessions, so they're all really, really, really close. And we've seen it with George, you know, like, even though their, their, def- their bench defense has been better this year, you know, getting... Nerlens Noel has helped compared to some of the other misfit characters they've had at back at backup center. But I think George has done a great job. And also what makes him different than some of the other wing candidates other than Kawhi in, a, in recent years is that he takes on really tough assignments a lot. And then that provides more value. It's not like, oh, if it's, you know, a certain guy, then then this other defender is going to do it. And that's, you know, Terrence Ferguson and Diallo and other guys have taken on some. But Paul George, I think, wants that every night. And so there is an intense value to that for sure, given that this is a wing-dominated league at some of the highest levels and even a guard one. And Paul George has done some nice jobs on point guards at times as well. Yeah, and he deserves a lot of credit for the fact that OKC's defense has been really awesome this year, despite the fact that Andre Robertson has played zero minutes but with all that said i i do try to pay attention to how guys fit within the defensive system and whether they kind of are the system and you know Giannis is part of that certainly but gobert they funnel guys in there draymond green is another guy where golden state switching is a, a lot of that is facilitated by him by clay thompson even to some degree as well but green especially with demarcus cousins coming in i was saying he was playing the best on a per play basis but it missed time the last time we did that that's really no longer the case he, he doesn't have any kind of a statistical argument at this point in time so i had george third miles turner fourth and bede fifth we talked about in the all nba some of the numbers supporting his candidacy and then draymond sixth I, I know we only have to do a top three but i, I did some analysis on all those guys so i figured i might as well pass it along at ad i was actually the first month of the year was in there for me back in those days when we believed new orleans might actually be pretty good this season uh but obviously not really a candidate any longer coach of the year i think the the leader 
in the clubhouse, the guy who's going to win the award is also deserving. It's nice to have that feeling. And maybe some people will have fatigue on just how important Mike Budenholzer has been for the Milwaukee Bucks. But don't matter. Still the coach of the year. The transformation of this franchise with not identical talent, but largely similar talent is stunning. And not only going from being a a one out playoff team, you know, kind of, you know, not not really relevant to the overall picture as great as entertaining as they were and as exciting as Giannis was last year to being the best team in the league is striking. It's it's amazing. He's my number one by a, a meaningful margin. I have a more clear number two now than I did before, and it's Nate McMillan. Yeah, McMillan I, I'm, is doing. I'm in total agreement with your top two. Is doing a fantastic job. The Pacers are fourth for the season. They're fourth in defensive rating and fifth in net rating. Since Oladipo went down, 11th in net rating and 7th in defense. That's incredible. I mean, they've been able to stick together. A lot of that has been through getting better performances out of, you know, their centers. I mean, DeMontis Sabonis, I didn't know he had this in him defensively. Miles Turner has made huge steps. Contributions from all over the floor. I mean, Bogdanovich has been important for them. They've really empowered him, having the best season of his career. And... I mean, you think about it right now, the success that that they're having without that clear offensive linchpin, that's extremely unusual and that they've been able to stay in this mix, you know, that they're not not only just like, oh, we, we kind of thought like, oh, they can hold on to the five seed. No, they're still they're still in the mix for, you know, th- in that three, four, five, even though they've been less healthy than the other teams in their mix. So yeah, I have him there. Then for the three spot, I think there are a lot of different candidates. Dave Yeager, Doc Rivers, Mike Malone. Kenny Atkinson, though Atkinson, I mean, with some of the nets sliding, I think his candidacy has has been on the wane. But I still think he's done a great job. And yeah. my, my, they've also been pretty lucky this year. Yes, they have. But I think he's doing a nice job. I, I mean, th- with the talent level that they have in the the holes at the forward positions to be competitive to the extent that they have been. Yeah. But for if, me, if they could just play Dallas every night, they would. Uh, oh man, the, 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 their numbers would look. A lot they better. would look as good as the Bucks. But uh, I, my number three, and this might just be me being subjective, but I'm okay with that. Is Nick Nurse. He has a lot of talent on the team, but it was a, a big adjustment, and he's had to deal, kind of like Mike Malone has, with a lot of changes relative to health. I mean, Kawhi Leonard dealing with this load management basically the whole year. A lot of their other key rotation players have missed time incorporating Marcus Gasol, and they've been a really good team this year. So I, it might just be that I I think that kind of job is hard, and there I would have no qualms with, with really Jaeger, Rivers, or Malone. Those are the three guys that also that stand out to me. Being above Nick Nurse, just for some reason, and I appreciate the difficulty of the job that he has, even though their talent is really good. Nurse was on my list, but I, I went with Mike Malone, number three. Uh, I was listening to Locked on Nuggets last week because you got to listen whenever Matt Moore and Adam Morris uh, talk Nuggets. But uh, I do disagree with Matt. He said that Mike Malone is the no- runaway coach of the year, and I think it's Mike Budenholzer is the runaway coach of the year. I mean, this is number two offense, number one defense. And this isn't like one of the best coaching performances this year. This is like one of the greatest one season turnaround coaching performances ever in a regular season. I mean, the, you would be hard. I, some of the great seasons really that this comes to mind, like Mike D'Antoni in 2004-05 or um, Steve Kerr in 2014-15. And, and some of those, I mean, Popovich, they've always been consistently excellent, but certainly he's had some years where they didn't have a ton of talent. And he was did an excellent job. But if you're really looking at seasons where a new coach came in, and D'Antoni actually had been in Phoenix just before then, but he was able to implement his, his system around Steve Nash. But I mean, this is compared to where they were last year. I mean, to go from a team with a negative point differential to one of the better point differentials we've seen, I mean, it's probably like a top 25 regular season ever right now that the Bucks are working on from a statistical standpoint. That's uh, that deserves a lot. Of, I mean, that that is the t- you know. You're 
you're always going to see every year a team that's ah you know we, they won 10 games more than expected or something like that and mcmillan was my clear number two malone also i think we, we don't want to give short shrift to how good of a job he did in december but if you're talking about mcmillan versus malone and the pacers are actually probably having a better season than the nuggets from a statistical standpoint i mean i think the nuggets are better but uh and they've had as many injury issues probably as with oladipo's concerns as denver has uh but you know i mean denver ultimately they're on track to win seven more games than last year probably and the point differential is not that amazing so he deserves a lot of credit for navigating through december but this is not some historic performance it's really the optics of oh they've been number one in the west they've been number two in the west but when you really compare to what their talent is and what they did last year you know i'm not this isn't some revolutionary job compared to like what bud was doing and that is really up there and and i'll echo all the other guys that that you mentioned lloyd pierce i want to give some credit to to what he's been able to get out of atlanta the way that they've been playing the vibes out of there are good how competitive they've been been you know basically since john collins came back into a full-time role um a lot of the pieces that they've had in and out of the lineup all that he, he deserves a, a ton of credit there even though you know, he's not in consideration for my top three and and even jaeger is not either i mean they're gonna end up below 500 it looks like another another guy that i want to give credit to what they're doing right now even though it's not for coach of the year just because we don't have an opportunity to talk about coaches as much is Steve Clifford. I mean, Orlando, since January 1st, and that's not even their whole best stretch, they're third in defense. Rookie of the year, Trey Young has been hot lately, but Luka Doncic, by far the best in the impact metrics. He's been hot as well. Of late, season-long performance has been excellent. And as I mentioned, too, with Rookie of the Year, I tend to tie-break with who seems like the best long-term prospect. That's Luka. So I had Jaron Jackson Jr. second last time we did this in early January. He's missed most of the intervening time after that. And Trey Young has just been absolutely scalding uh positive 1.51 offensive pipm is pretty good negative three a lot worse but i i do i've thought for a while that trey is the second best long-term prospect in this class i think he's played a lot better this year other than just that terrible month of i think it was november when he was 19 percent from three other than that he's been really good offensively he is changing the scheme with his shooting and his passing is obviously awesome the changing the defensive scheme where teams have to really get out put two on the ball and as they get some more players around him that's going to be really really valuable and the hawks have been playing pretty well and he's been a, a big part of that you know the defense is a big concern they also don't have any other good defensive players on the team beside him so my hope is that at point guard he's not going to kill them for the rest of his career but I mean with some of these games that he's putting up recently he's a a solid number two in my mind and then I went with Jared Jackson Jr. who uh, despite being negative in the impact metrics on offense 59% true shooting and 23 usage for him and obviously has a lot of defensive potential he's pretty good there Uh, already plus 1.6 defensive PIPM Uh, DeAndre Ayton I guess would be fourth Marvin Bagley if he had played more might be fourth but despite a, a decent game against the Bucks last night Aiton has been atrocious defensively I don't have a ton of confidence that he's going to get to being a positive on that end so and the Suns have had a really really terrible season so Luca one Trey Young two Jaron Jackson Jr. three for me Luca has the highest usage rate of any rookie Trey Young is second those two guys are around 30 no one else is even close Luca's been effective on offense and not awful on defense so that makes it I think it's pretty easy and for Trey Young I'm sure they're going to be Hawks partisans that's that focus on the end the second half of the year and Trey Young has been better but rookie of the year is a full season award Luca has been better over the full season and you could take solace in the fact that
Trey Young is looking awesome. Winning an award doesn't really matter that much in the scope of it. It's more how he looks, how the offense looks with Trey Young out there. I didn't go beyond two, but I also want to mention. I just think this is kind of what, what do you have to. There's three spots in the belt. I don't have to. Do, I, I'm. I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I didn't do research beyond two because I'm like okay. those are the only two people that I really like considered okay. as being worthy of discussion. But I want to men- give a little shout out to Mitchell Robinson. Obviously, he's a per beast. That's not a surprise because that's what he does. You know, he finishes a lot of shots at the basket. Doesn't doesn't do a lot of extraneous stuff. But he's also been a positive player by both RPM and PIPM defensively. And I think that's kind of worth filing away. I don't. I don't know yet. I need to watch him more. I mean, he bites on every pump fake on the damn planet, but he blocks a ton, ton of shots. I need to get a better feel for it, but I'm excited about that. So I don't, he's not in the rookie of the year conversation. He might end up in the first team all rookie conversation, depending on how the rest of this year goes. But I just wanted to mention him. Yeah, Robinson, considering some of the other defensive centers that the Knicks have employed this year, not a surprise that he looks a little better in the impact metrics, but it's not like they've defended well with him on the floor, and clearly there are other big-time liabilities that he's got to clean up for. All right, let's close it up here. We don't do most improved player until the end of the year. Let's close it up with sixth man of the year. I had Spencer Dinwiddie, number one, last time, but he has missed a bunch of time with a thumb injury, so I've actually got him number two now. He hasn't played that many fewer minutes than some of the other guys but uh Montrez Harrell is going to take it for me I still think Dinwiddie has been the best on a per play basis but Harrell 63% true shooting 23% usage has played more minutes than anyone else 1743 minutes than anyone else who is eligible for this Dinwiddie now is down at still a fair number 1467 so that not that much less I'm guessing if Dinwiddie finishes out the season and plays at the same rate he's been playing at you know I think he's a starting quality of point guard easily you know I'd probably have him in the 15 to 20 range in terms of point guards, although we haven't done those rankings yet, so I don't want to hold myself to that. But, you know, that's a very, very valuable player. Uh, So he's my number two. And then Lou Williams has come on. He's up to 33% usage, average efficiency, huge part as the really one clipper who can do much off the dribble, especially now with Tobias Harris in Philly. He's played a huge role. He's been really, really important for them. So I I had him as number three, and Lou also has played... uh, 1,586 minutes so far this season, which is a pretty good number. So I enjoy this. I have those three guys in order, but I do not have them one, two, three. I have them two, three, four. And the guy that I have number one is DeMontis Sabonis. I think Sabonis has been the best player coming off the bench this year. And while he isn't closing games to the same extent that Montrezl Harrell is, that's because he has a better center in front of him than Montrezl Harrell does. And Sabonis has been, I've been impressed with his defense. I think he's been a materially better defensive player. And Harrell's probably been better offensively but I, th- I think especially first of all at center and and I, I think Sabonis has done a wonderful job he is missing some time right now which is unfortunate so I, I'm going with Sabonis over Harrell it could change you know those guys are really 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 close and then Dinwiddie's in there if, if Dinwiddie plays the rest of the year then he could easily work his way and I love Spencer Dinwiddie so much and then I wanted to give an honorable mention to Andre Guadala who is probably still the player of those five that I considered who I would most want on my team on the bench or otherwise and he's having a nice year but not quite at the same caliber as those other guys so he's fifth yeah and he's only played 1300 minutes so he's a, right. he's a little bit lower than some of these guys yeah i mean certainly in a playoff series iguodala would be right up there Derek rose has still been pretty solid but he's uh, due to his injury concerns hasn't played as many minutes either Sabonis certainly is in the others receiving votes category for me and his numbers are very similar to harold's and you can make the argument that Sabonis is better defensively so maybe i should have given him more 
credit but the fact that harrell is actually closing games the clippers have been the best clutch team in the league he's been or, or close to it I, I haven't looked at the numbers recently i, I saw that stat a couple weeks ago uh harrell has been a, a part of that so is lou williams uh whereas sabonis you know he's not going to close games very often um but yeah I, I am a little bit wary of the hyper efficient center just because i think there's a, a higher replacement level for those sorts of players but certainly both those guys have been really good uh I mean, really, the guy I feel strongest about is Dinwiddie. I think he is a clear choice if he had missed the time. So I imagine he's going to be my choice at the end of the year. Uh, Bogdan Badanovich was someone I had talked up previously, but he's actually fallen off in terms of his efficiency. He's down to 52% true shooting now and does provide some solid defense. He's, uh, he's been starting some games as well, but is still very eligible. He's only started, he started 14 games now out of, out of 51. Since I looked it up, the Clippers are currently tied for the best clutch net rating in the league they're tied with the boston celtics the celtics have a 130 offensive rating in games within five points in the final five minutes well that's so interesting because they have underperformed their point differential by quite a bit so i think what that would indicate to me is just that they are either having some clutch games where they're just going absolutely crazy and yeah that's great but you only get one win yeah because they're only they're 17 and 15 so or it could be that they're coming from behind and they're cutting the margin but not winning yeah, they they are a team that does seem to have a lot of these kind of frantic comebacks. You know, the the Houston game, I don't think they got within five ever in that game, but the, that's a, an example there. All right, we'll be back. Uh, do some news here in a second. Right after this, from Indochino, I'm headed down to my cousin's wedding in Argentina. If you guys have been to uh, Buenos Aires and have some recommendations for me while I'm down there, uh, would love to hear them. If you want to tweet me at Nate Duncan NBA, but when I go to the wedding down there, I'll be wearing a suit from Indochino, the world's most exciting they have studied that extensively most exciting made to measure menswear company with suits and shirts that fit your exact measurements i'm a a hard to fit guy big shoulders small chest six foot six so indochino has been a staple of mine they've been on the show for quite some time i think over three years and have a ton of indochino suits even have bought some, some more of my own not even just the ones that they've sent me i had them outfit for my wedding had all my grooms and wear an indochino shirt and sport jacket I had them do my talks. They're the ones that I trust to get the right fit. This off-the-rack stuff is just not going to work. Then even if you do find a jacket that fits off the rack, are the pants going to fit? They're going to have to take it in. Never seems to work out, especially because you're beholden to just whatever is in the store. At Indochino, you've got all sorts of customizations. I think they've got over 100 fabrics now. You can customize the lapel, the lining, the pockets, the buttons, put a monogram on there, hit submit, and your suit gets mailed to you in a couple of weeks. What's more, you enter that cap space code at checkout at Indochino.com. You get it for just $359, 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping is free. Go to Indochino, enter promo code CAPSPACE. They have great customer service as well if for some reason it doesn't fit you, but I've never had that problem. Enter that promo code CAPSPACE. $359 and free shipping once you go custom you don't go back that has been the case for me and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us let's turn now to a little news here on this tuesday night i think the place to start is in milwaukee with the air bledsoe extension yeah absolutely i mean bledsoe so the original reporting and this is why it is fortunate to to wait a little bit for additional information the original reporting was adding four years and 70 million that is still we don't have the exact terms but it sounds like that's around the maximum but a piece that came a, a piece of information that came out from Shamstrania later is that the final year of that which is the 22 23 season 
is only partially guaranteed for a little under $4 million out of $19.4 million. So that gives even more flexibility to the Milwaukee Bucks. At that point, basically, they can either pay him that almost $20 million or they could pay him $4 million to play somewhere else. Yeah, and that last year is really key as far as what kind of a contract this is, whether it's tradable or not because he's 29th this offseason and a a player who is very athletic but also relatively reliant on that athleticism i think he's a better shooter than someone like russell westbrook obviously westbrook has a lot of other advantages that make him better than bledsoe but uh certainly you could see his game winning a little bit i thought this was reasonable value before we knew about the non-guarantee for both sides Bledsoe would have had a 22 million dollar cap hold this offseason now that's gonna reduce down quite a bit and should start what's he gonna start at most likely they're gonna start him I assume at the lowest that they possibly can using that logic if it's a rigid 470 it would start about 15.6 million and that also squares up Shams tweet had the 19.375 that just so happens to be the year four on a four-year 70 million dollar contract with eight percent raises yeah that that makes perfect sense there and I've posited the idea that this free agent market would look a lot like 2017 not the feeding frenzy of 2016 not the incredibly team-friendly market of 2018 an interesting analog to Bledsoe is Jeff Teague Teague was coming off a, a year in Indiana it was probably not as good actually as Bledsoe's Teague got a two plus one three years a little bit less than 60 million dollars so higher on an annual basis had a player option on the third year instead of a non-guarantee on the fourth year and so that's actually less guaranteed money for Bledsoe over four years than Teague got over three and and Teague got the player option as well as he's probably gonna end up opting into I would imagine this offseason and Bledsoe I think has been better this year and on a better team than Teague was that year so this is a good deal for the Bucks. Now, Teague, of course, was actually a free agent. When you're looking at this time of year, there are a lot of unknowns. There's injury risk for the rest of the year. There's performance risk for Bledsoe in the playoffs. So he is getting a discount for the extension, to be sure. But I still think this is a very solid deal for the Bucks. It is the first domino for them in their offseason. And it gives them some intriguing options in terms of bringing back Chris Middleton and either bringing back the rest of their team or going in another direction to bring in potentially a, another free agent here after bringing back Middleton and Bledsoe, of course, already being in the full. And they could keep Brogdon too because he, he'll he'll hit the starter criteria but his capital is going to be uh only about three million dollars yeah so that will bump up a little bit and milwaukee it looked like they were going to enter the offseason with four starters as free agents now that number drops to three which is still a lot but it it is meaningfully less and brogdon as a restricted free agent they wield a lot more control over that process so you uh, you could kind of see that as a less onerous situation from Bledsoe's perspective, there is absolutely a chance that he could have gotten less money than this in free agency. Point guard is not, you know, it's a position of importance around the league, but it is not a strong position of need for that many teams that had cap space. This is something I've been thinking about for D'Angelo Russell as well. And Bledsoe, remember, it was last year in the playoffs that he was absolutely awful in that series against Boston. 
shaky offensively. I think he got outplayed by Terry Rozier, and there was some risk for him to mitigate. Now, I, I think this is, if you had to quantify it, I think it's a better deal for the Bucks than it is for him, but it's justifiable from his perspective. I mean, you, you walk in this contract, you walk in this money on a team that he appears to be happy playing with that is going to be very, very good next year as they are this year, so he gets that stability. You know, moving forward, I would ex- expect them to be there, but there's more uncertainty after next season. Yeah, so, let's not forget, too, he's had three surgeries. Oh, yeah. Team you know meniscus surgeries so things could certainly take a turn for the worse in terms of his health his effectiveness right another tear some arthritis swelling you know that kind of kind of thing and Um, and one of the one of the guard needy teams with some cap space this year the phoenix suns probably would not have been interested in eric butzo as a free agent i'm guessing no they wouldn't yeah i mean i guess that's the other thing too we we talked about well what's d'angelo russell's market going to be as a free agent certainly you know if Bledsoe wants to be on a winning team in this culture I mean remember how miserable he was in Phoenix if he wanted to go somewhere else you know you're looking at an Orlando or uh you know maybe Brooklyn if Russell were to leave or uh, the Knicks as a backup option there there's uh, you mentioned Phoenix uh, not really a possibility but you know inherently uh, and a lot of the bad teams that have space like sacramento atlanta they have their point guards of the future already so there wouldn't be a a lot of interest there and is there also it's not only him there's a ton of free agent point guards out there on the market this year as well and and he would be you know lower in the pecking order there's Kyrie, there's kemba walker so he would have to get in line behind those guys so i I think the more i think about it you know he probably was like whether through logic or some feelers there may not have been really you know another suitor that was going to bump his market value up much beyond this anyway and so you get to lock it in now and you get to do it in a place where he has uh, been very vocal about being happy the other piece of news for the milwaukee bucks is not as much of a long-term thing but they signed Pau gasol gasol will be another one of their front court options they have a lot more of the kind of power forward guys that can slide around they can even of course theoretically play Giannis the center but outside of brooke lopez gives them kind of another look i worry as I as I did at, for a moment in time, though he's looked good with his brother Mark, that the, that the, his new team could overuse him. You know that think okay, he's a traditional center. We need to play him against centers, but the Bucks have so many other capable options. I'm not I'm not as worried about that though. It is a possibility. Yeah, it's really they didn't have another traditional center option behind him with the trade of of Thon Maker, who himself was not exactly the stoutest guy. Ursan Ilyasova is getting a lot of the backup center minutes for them you know he doesn't really provide traditional rim protection he does take a, a ton of charges and you know dj wilson was also getting some minutes they'll play time with Giannis as the nominal center as well perhaps so there is in theory a need for him my guess is that during the playoffs they're going to want to do a lot of Giannis at center stuff that Ilyasova in, in the later rounds might become unplayable i i do fear especially with gasol being proud of me he was out of the rotation in san antonio and we mentioned on the 50 and 68 that he gave back a reasonable amount there but you know gasol certainly has been proud hopefully there were not too many assurances made to him about how much he's going to play at this point in time he does fit into their system because much like in san antonio the bucks have been funneling everything into the lane their bigs lay back in the pick and roll he could play similarly to brooke lopez although he's nowhere near the defensive rebounding presence in terms of a box out guy that lopez is but i i think i don't see this really moving the needle it'd be nice to have someone who could pass a little bit more that might be one thing that this team doesn't have a ton 
fun of is passing but i don't see them like changing up their whole offense like run stuff through Pau gasol at the elbow here and gasol not quite the three-point bomber that lopez is although hopefully he'll be encouraged to do that he he has been somewhat resistant to that uh unless he's playing international ball so i don't expect this to move the needle if it does the more he plays the worse the setting looks uh, to me but you know i mean it's good to have someone there if brooke lopez gets injured you know something like that but you know gasol may, may be about done here where do you want to go next well, we can go with the other NBA champion big man that signed with a title contender, or will sign in this case, Andrew Bogut. It's reported that the Warriors intend to bring him back for the remainder of the season. He needs to get a letter of clearance from his Australian team. As I've heard it, it doesn't sound. It sounds like more that's just getting it resolved rather than a question of whether it's going to happen. Marcus Thompson had had some good reporting that the Warriors wanted a wing: Wes Matthews, Wayne Ellington, Garrett Temple, Justin Holiday, or Robin Lopez with their 15th spot. None of those materialized as of right now that closes the book on what the Warriors are going to do with their roster they could theoretically cut somebody to open up a roster spot for somebody else whether that's a free agent or converting Damian Lee's two-way contract and the theory behind the Bogut move from what I could tell is something that the Warriors have done a lot with their roster and the cost of it beyond the money paying them the luxury tax and all that is giving so many roster spots to big men but what they're trying to do is have different looks for different situations they have you know Kevon Looney for switches DeMarcus Cousins doing DeMarcus Cousins things Jordan Bell kind of a more athletic approach bouncy approach and then what Bogut can bring is if they're and I can imagine why they'd be scared of those real back to the basket beasts they didn't really have anybody with that. Bogut, of course, has familiarity with the system, with Kerr, with Ron Adams, and a lot of the players on this team. So while I firmly believe that a wing or a guard was a greater need, there there is a chance that Bogut ends up being important in, in certain matchups. Well, we're not talking about the Bogut that was a second team all defense in 2015 at this point. Well, that's for he damn is, sure. He, now, supposedly he looks better playing fewer games. He's more svelte, a little bouncier. Always a health risk, of course. I mean, it's a good story to have him back since things didn't end the way he would have liked it with the Warriors organization. Odds are he's not going to make any kind of a difference, but he does provide a little bit of insurance. He's familiar with the system. The biggest thing is that he's just a massive offensive liability, and he used to be able to go up and get some alley-oops every once in a while. That's not the case anymore, other than just very low percentage lefty hooks and flips around the basket I, I don't expect him to be helpful on offense I mean, he can set some screens he can pass a little bit but you know the game's changed a lot I think it's really more offensively that he can't be as effective defensively I, I think he might actually I mean he can't be worse than DeMarcus <laughs> that's for sure uh, at this point in time Clay Thompson missed his second straight as they got completely blown out by Boston tonight uh, supposedly the MRI came back clean, although there was reporting that he needs to regain the range of motion. So there apparently is a, a fair amount of swelling there, but doesn't sound like he'll be imperiled for the playoffs. Houston, who absolutely is rocking right now, they had a comfortable win in Toronto. They beat Boston really badly. They beat the Warriors without James Harden a bit ago all those on the road uh they've done it without Iman Shumpert and Kenneth Fareed uh, most of the way their defense looked really good I thought against Toronto uh the next place we can turn here is to Phoenix 
Kevin Arnovitz, his piece on the Suns was quite revealing. It showed just as much dysfunction as would have been expected based on the way that they've operated and the reputation of Robert Sarver. I mean, there are just a number of reports of Robert Sarver basically just being a dick where he will go in and tell the coach that they should guard the pick and roll differently and they should start trapping and, you know, just dressing down players and coaches, you know, in the heat of battle, talking shit from the sidelines to both his own team and and the other team that the all-time story of Sarver bringing goats into Ryan McDonough's office to encourage him to find a goat for this the Phoenix Suns by the way uh goat.com slash cap space get yourself some awesome shoes uh and then shortly thereafter giving McDonough a contract extension and then firing him at the start of this year when he couldn't get a point guard into the mix and then there's a, a lot of talk about just the overall dysfunction with James Jones who people are somewhat complimentary of as a liaison bridge builder type but less so about someone who's really concerned about the nuts and bolts of scouting I actually appreciate Jones's honesty about how he thinks a lot of the work that gets done in scouting is kind of bs and that might be true I mean you know oh yeah okay we're we could really evaluate this guy so much better because we spent you know an entire day going to watch two hours worth of a game from the nosebleeds at Cameron Indoor Stadium instead of watching 12 games on film during that day. You know, I, I, I understand that approach a little bit, but I'd be a little bit more of a believer if it came from someone who had actually done it before and had success as a GM. You know, I, I do think there's some of the things that get done that are kind of busy work and overkill perhaps, but uh, James Jones is probably not the messenger uh, on that. And so all these reports of all this, there haven't been that many Suns guys out scouting and stuff. And the interesting division of labor between Jones and uh, Trevor Buckstein, who does more of the, the cap process type of stuff, but Jones supposedly has shown very little interest in that. And the Suns just now apparently are starting a search for a new president of basketball operations hey maybe they should have done that you know last off season or maybe they should have done that before they fired the gm to have someone else come in or maybe they should have done that before the trade deadline hopefully they get it done before the draft maybe and i i got a lot of donald sterling flashbacks during the the robert sarver dealing with players and people and stuff because i mean bef- long before all of the what led to his demise as an owner in the nba donald sterling was well known for that kind of bs and so reminder that those that there are still people like that in the league and sarver isn't bringing so much to the table in the other elements of being an owner to justify it i wish the league had a better mechanism but the to to remove bad owners but part of the reason that it doesn't is a slippery slope type of argument i, I remember that this came up a little bit in the sterling stuff and owners are afraid that oh you know if we could remove that guy because he's bad at his job maybe the same thing yeah. could happen to me S- slippery slope is just the dumbest argument oh absolutely like, how, how about you just just when it merits it you do it and when it doesn't merit it you don't do it yeah this and it, idea it, of like th- this impossible creep that's just gonna get going i mean it's like even the analogy is dumb it's like well either you, there's no way you can walk carefully down the slippery slope you're clearly gonna just lose your balance and just start tumbling down like come on i hate yeah. that like i mean for those of you who have, who have uh, been to law school whenever 
some just like gunner talking head in one of my classes would just to say something and try and impress the professor and the only thing they could think of was the slippery slope argument i would just like mime putting a gun to my head during those classes it was terrible unfortunately in the dry weather of of tucson there were not many slippery slopes that you could put them on as as oh no you you get a lot of flooding there at times that's a fair point and and so the other thing that i thought was important in the piece there was a lot of talk about communication and there was a, a section of it talking about how the coaching staff doesn't really know the plan either and that's concerning you know because even if they're looking for potential replacements in the front office the coaching staff you know that's supposed to be a partnership it's supposed to be communication to understand what they're really going through and that's not good and then one other thing that wasn't in that piece but i think is pertinent for the suns kevin o'connor of the ringer wrote a piece about the celtics and in that there was a discussion of of kind of of something that Arnovitz ended up with was Phoenix's pursuit of a point guard. And unsurprisingly, the Suns and Celtics had discussions before the season about Terry Rozier. The Suns offered some sort of protected pick. Obviously, there's an immense amount of variation on what that could be. And Danny Ainge reportedly, per league sources, demanded an unprotected Phoenix first, which is a complete non-starter because any unprotected Phoenix first would be the most valuable draft asset that is conveyed. So giving that up for one year of Terry Rozier and match rights would have been ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, they could have traded for him in time to maybe ink him to an extension. But yeah, I, I, I agree. And I mean, we talked about this at the time that it was tough finding what the capital was going to be there because what kind of protection would you actually feel comfortable that you're going to get the pick eventually if you're Boston and there's not going to be no protection obviously and but I mean lottery protection and you know this is the Phoenix Suns they've been in the lottery forever they don't appear to be either way to getting out of it anytime soon and so anything less than that now you're wondering it's probably too much to give up for Rozier and so that was difficult and then the salary matching was going to be tough too because Boston would have maybe tried to get out of the tax uh and, and there wasn't really a clear way to do that uh for OKC Paul George returned tonight uh in Minnesota did not play particularly well certainly not an MVP level foreshadowing oh wait no we actually already talked about that damn <laughs> this is running after that we're, we're recording this uh after the games we recorded that during the day today uh but yeah no way he played at mvp level today uh as they got waxed by 42 point dominant performance from carl anthony towns in philly josh harris at the sloan conference he reiterated to jackie mcmullen that it'll be very expensive to keep all of the guys that they have signed they're looking at a big tax bill if they keep butler and harris and then they have to give simmons a max contract it's already been said apparently that ben simmons will get a max contract i don't know if i would be so eager to give him a, a no-brainer max contract right now uh and he also said that if they lose in the first round that would be a huge problem Embiid misses six straight tonight but he does expect to be back this week with that knee issue and they did beat the Orlando Magic in that game on Tuesday night. Minnesota, Robert Covington has not yet returned, but he's close. He was recalled from the G League, I think about a week ago, but hasn't come back. Wal Dang missed Sunday and Tuesday's games due to a left Achilles issue. Hassan Whiteside missed three games and returned against the Hawks. He came off the bench. We did part of that game for the NBA cast. And in that win over Atlanta, Goran Dragic did not play. He had a strained left calf, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, and Miami, not one of those organizations that is known for transparency and sort of injury reporting and again if this calf strain is bad enough that you can't play that's gonna be generally at least a weak injury i can think of very few times with a calf strain that a guy 
has who's missed a game has been able to come back sooner than that and Dragic had been playing pretty well for them he provides some needed offensive punch they were able to beat the Hawks in a game we did some for the NBA cast last night in New York Frank Nilakina is still out he's missed 16 straight with that groin strain that uh the Knicks telecast noted has been pretty slow to heal and then DeAndre Jordan and Mario Hazonia with an ankle and bruised leg respectively of each missed five straight games there and uh no indication exactly of when they're going to return the Lakers will not be signing Carmelo Anthony after their miserable loss to the Clippers. Really, they are done, done, done now for the playoffs. And it was decided that they are too bad for it to make sense for Carmelo to sign there. I mean, there's a there's a, a good argument that he could have really helped with their new endeavor of maximizing this season's draft pick. I don't think that's necessarily what he wants the, to do, though. They could finish 13th in the West, in theory. I don't expect them to finish 14th, but I think, I, I mean, Memphis just beat Portland tonight. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they could get... There, but I, mean, I, 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 I guess they are like four games behind Memphis. At, at this yeah, I wouldn't. Ex- I, mean, I wouldn't expect it. Memphis is playing better than them right now. Absolutely, as as demonstrated. I mean, yeah, Memphis. They beat Portland. They should have beat OKC on Sunday. They blew out the Mavs. They beat the Lakers pretty badly. Yeah, Memphis actually. Joke, you know. I apologize by the way on the fifty and sixty for saying that he wasn't playing well. That was more of an aesthetic comment, but he's actually been pretty solid. He has the best defensive rating of any player to play thirty five games or more in the entire league. 97 defense rating 98 offensive rating but nonetheless i mean that's still he, he clearly has been effective defensively and you know at least while he's not an offensive force he's at least has been more efficient than he had been in, in past years uh aaron baines uh, is back and while he his return did not help against houston he did play reasonably well took a couple of charges in that game where they completely housed golden state and then in atlanta omari spellman suffered a pretty severe ankle sprain it's going to be a high ankle sprain and associated soft tissue injury he's to miss at least four weeks that's when he'll be if i would actually uh kale chenard says he will be reviewed in about four weeks uh, are they gonna like sit him down in the office and like ask him exactly what it is that he does here well i mean that's pretty close to his exit interview because that's what like a week away from the end of the season yeah man time flies demonte sabonis in indiana has missed four straight games including tuesday they were able to hold on against the chicago bulls for a victory Tuesday night, Nate McMillan says he's a couple days away, which sounds to me like he could miss another game or two. And uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is back in Brooklyn. He struggled his first couple of games, but then lit up the Mavs, as did every single member of the Nets uh, on Monday. The the Mavs have uh, looked like they will not be competitive the rest of the season. One last piece of news. It was reported that the Raptors and Rockets will play two games in Japan in the preseason next year. It's the first time the league has played there since... I believe it was in the early 2000s, something like 2003. So that's exciting. Always like I I remember actually. I talked about this with Ben Taylor on a pod. I remember those games because KG was like shooting threes, and I remember watching those games, being like, "Oh shit!" Like KG's gonna make threes now, and then he just for whatever reason just decided to concentrate on long twos for the rest of his career instead. Um, All right, we can wrap this up here. Thanks so much for listening this is our last pod this week we'll be back on sunday night got some interesting topics coming up for you while i'm in argentina that we pre-recorded then danny will catch you guys up on news while i am gone talk to y'all on sunday till then